0: This is Chase Garbarino, co-founder and CEO of HQO, and this is the Let's Go Show. Let's go! David, thanks a bunch for coming on the Let's Go Show. Good to see you. Good to see you too. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And where are you right now? Right now, I'm in New York,
1: um, Okay. where I've got a couple of projects underway, um, but permanently reside in Chicago. Great.
0: Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about DMK and your background and what you do? Sure. So um, DMK
1: is a company that started about 12 years ago. At the time, it was with an interest in having a really employee-centric culture and kind of a laboratory for innovation as it relates to food and beverage. As the company has evolved and market conditions have continued to change, we've spent the last several years being an operating partner to, you know, what we think are kind of the great real estate and institutional partners out there. So here in Manhattan, our partners are uh, Nuveen and Vornado. In Chicago, our partners are the likes of the Chicago Bears, University of Notre Dame's endowment, et cetera. We have an active partnership with Morgan Stanley. And in general, the red thread between all of the partnerships is an interest in finding intersection points between making real estate relevant um, through the use of a variety of different strategies and tactics. Obviously, you know, our work is, mo- is rooted in some regard in food and beverage, but also just kind of how it is that hospitality as a mission for enlivening a property is an amazing tool and application in most any context in driving relevancy to real estate. So that's kind of how we spend most of our time. We have some ancillary businesses. We have a technology company ourselves um, that's trying to think about uh, new environmental strategies for optimizing things like kind of campus-based deliveries and are continually um, kind of expanding the portfolio Uh, as far as services and products that we offer is being driven by um, the very high sophistication of um, our partners.
0: So in terms of, I mean, you guys are pretty unique, right? Like you obviously have a lot of history, background experience in the restaurant business, but in terms of your model where you're going and partnering with these large institutional investors or academic institutions, a group like the Bears... How did you kind of go from traditional restaurant business to what you do now? I think it's really powerful to take kind of your, your model and apply it to real estate development. But how did you kind of make that, I don't know if I would call it a pivot, but that ang- take that angle on the business? Yeah. I
1: mean, I can, I can assure you, Chase, it certainly wasn't by design. Um, and, you know, it was listening carefully. There was a chorus of demand from a guest, from an a la carte perspective within our kind of just you know standard restaurant portfolio, as well as these institutional partners that you're describing and recognizing that the, that the core inputs to what it is that can create loyalty and brand loyalty at even you know, an a individual restaurant, um, systematized, uh, contemplated, injected with lots of kind of creativity and uh, bespoke solutions. Um, it offers so many opportunities for applying it to different spaces. So it originally started with the bearers, and the bearers' interest in DMK at the time wasn't solely so that we could have a, um, a couple of few, you know stands in the stadium. Uh, but because the Bears were deeply interested in fan experience. And the Bears understood that they had a unique situation. They had, actually, they're the largest NFL market because larger markets have more than one team. And in order to continue to drive value to fans, in spite of whatever, you know, the outcome of the Bears' performance might look like, that they wanted to feel emotionally connecting. And that was kind of the genesis of it. Beyond that, on a more kind of permanent basis, um, our first... Uh, partner was we were selected from uh, among a, mas- a national search by Vornado, who I was a partner of yours as well, to solve you know what was perceived to be a very difficult problem, which is how do you take in this particular context off-grade real estate, right? So you don't pull a door from a sidewalk and enter it like you normally would. Uh, how do you develop something that is so resonating that it can draw off off-grade, and how can it also create this? environment where it's kind of poured through the filter of everything of and related to work and how it relates to your work day and uh vornado is an incredible partner they challenged us to really you know take it to the next level and introduce lots of new strategies and features um, and then it's just kind of escalated from there it's not a business that we actively go out and promote it's not a, a you know we don't really have a you know a business development arm instead i think it's really just been a function of the strategies have been effective Our partners have been thrilled to the extent that they've signed us up for multiple projects in all cases. And so it was somewhat serendipitous and somewhat just being responsive and and a bit entrepreneurial to kind of what what the world was telling us that they wanted.
0: And I mean, how has that made, obviously, restaurants have been challenged in a lot of different ways through COVID, but it's kind of a different position that you're in? I mean, what have you seen for your businesses during COVID? And, you know, do you think there's lasting change or things that you need to do to operate differently as we come out? Absolutely, on all
1: fronts. And I think, you know, we're in the early phases of a hospitality renaissance. You know, interestingly, Chase, back to our roots, when we first started the business, it was, you know, from a desire, you know, I grew up in the industry. My father started the Morton Steakhouse. My family's done a variety of different brands. I'm fourth generation and in spite of something I'm very proud of, I was also really cognizant of the fact that historically, you know, restaurants haven't necessarily been great places to work from a culture standpoint, from a development standpoint, et cetera. And that was the first thing that really kind of got us thinking about you know, what that opportunity might look like. You know, as we get back to COVID and move through COVID and you know, read the same papers and things you know, about you know, issues with to human supply chain, hiring, et cetera, you know it's really pushed things it's, it's made our mission as relevant as ever we've continued to evolve ourselves about what is it from an industry standpoint we can be doing to be outstanding the way industries like yours i think have had a little bit more natural proclivity towards we took the downtime early on with a simple challenge that i put out to our team which was something that we were already contemplating pre-covid which is how do we nest deeper and, you know, find a nesting of technology and hospitality? And a huge silver lining for us during this time was finding and being having the opportunity to, to collaborate, you know, up to including, you know, with the likes of your incredible organization that have interesting solutions and adjacencies we think were very complementary to. So the upshot of COVID, I think, you know, in the short run has been, you know, hopefully there's been, the, the, the camera's been reframed and is going back to, I think, which should always be a critical question is, you know, from a kind of a human standpoint, what does it look and feel like to work in the industry? It's always been a huge, um, mission of ours from a culture standpoint. So I think, you know, there's change in the conversation as far as that's concerned. Technology sh- certainly was having, you know, had some nice tailwinds for the first time in a long time pre-COVID. And um, as it relates to our industry and different plugins, it's had a huge, there's uh, been a huge waterfall of, of opportunities. And, and the things that I think are gonna stick are in addition to, you know, hopefully being held to the highest possible standards of excellence from, you know, an employee standpoint, how it is that, you know, new efficiencies can be created really in the name of convenience. So, right, as there's places that, like yourself, that have, you know, the leader in aggregating something from an experience standpoint, you know, within kind of a, you know, a property, and I'm sure I'm not describing it as well as anybody in your team can, you know, how do we um, enjoin that? Um, and, um, So what the the upshot of it is is it creates a really harmonious link that is a layer that takes that uses technology but also uses you know the human form for something that becomes experientially rich. So you know I think that's here to stay. I think that on the consumer side there's obviously been high adoption to things like you know delivery companies and QR codes et cetera. From the great thinking of organizations like yours, you know I think it's ushering in a whole new version of it that is really consumer focused and thoughtful and is enabling my company and our industry to get the benefits of the efficiencies that you all are kind of introducing
0: to us. So you use the, uh, and I want to go a little bit deeper on this, you use the term hospitality renaissance. And you know we've, we talk about experience a lot. I mean, commercial real estate is very behind I think when it comes to customer experience, they don't even use the word customer, right? They talk about tenants, which is kind of a dirty word, right? It makes you feel like you're, not, you're kind of lucky to be paying us, right? There's like a little bit of that. But I hear so many people in the industry saying like, you know, we have to become hospitality oriented or we have to care about the customer experience, all these things. But I don't think a lot of people actually know what that means, right? And they don't necessarily know where to start. So when you're talking to these groups, let's say your average landlord, I certainly, as you and I know well, Bornado is not average in how they think about things. They tend to be a little further ahead. But if you were talking to the industry and you have a group that is willing to start to kind of cross this chasm of becoming truly a hospitality-oriented organization, number one, what do you think that means for the industry? And then two, how do you go about taking your first steps into doing that?
1: So calling it what we may, tenant, customer, we call them guests, um, really imagining from a UX experience, every part of the experience through their eyes. And it sounds kind of trite, but then, you know, it really does create emotional resonance. But I mean, if we think about kind of that question from a more objective standpoint, and you know, imagine kind of how it is that we interact with brands outside of a building. Um, my usual example is because um, I typically find myself on a plane several times a week. Is you know, if I if I have an issue with you know United Airlines and I go and I visit you know the desk there to to have a seat changed or something, to me that agent is the brand of. United Airlines. If I go and I check out at Whole Foods, to me, that person, that service agent, cashier, or whatever they call that role at Whole Foods, that is the brand of Whole Foods. So how is it that real estate can start thinking about that while it also is, um, at least, you know, our partners in all cases, you know, are running to find and working with, you know, um, HQO, for example, Um, to figure out how it is that they can, um, you know, modernize their platform. But from the hospitality side, a lot of that still does require a lot of human form. What does the greet sound like at, you know, the reception desk to a building? Is a reception desk really even as relevant as it was? Is security a thing? Of course, it's a thing from a safety standpoint. But is that the thing that you want it to feel like if that's your first point of connection to the property? How instead can it look and feel emotionally so that people might feel a little bit more like they're entering their favorite hotel or their favorite resort or something to that effect? Our core thinking around just the whole notion of hospitality, Chase, is what we call recognition, speed, and recovery. And so as kind of a core kind of tenets of effectuating this without getting too it in the question, you know, is strategies and tactics associated with how it is that people can be recognized as an individual as often as possible. Right? And that's kind of the notion of recognition. For those of us of the appropriate vintage, like myself can recall the show Cheers, right? Where everyone knows your name according to, you know, the theme song, right? Mm-hmm. that never goes out of style. I think that's a, something that all of us still like to hear and resonates with us as being, you know, recognized on from an individual standpoint. Speed is critical to hospitality as well, because, you know, there's actual versus perceived and how it is that we experience time in a service setting is very rooted in perception. So when things happen to us and on our behalf and how that is communicated from an expectation standpoint, we think deeply about how it is that we can build the brand of DMK, the asset, whatever it is in a way that is really sensitive to it. Of course, you know, the work that you know you guys are doing, for example, is has such a level of immediacy to it that once you then add in additional layers to it, how is it that you start to imagine time um, from a perceived perspective? How is it that you communicate about time, etc. And the last piece to it, you know, simply put or succinctly put is recovery. That in a in a setting that does require you know some of these features, from time to time, especially if we're paying attention or really eager to be thinking on behalf of the guest, things are going to go wrong. So how is it that, you know, what are the tools, tactics, and strategies for dealing with, um, recovering from glitches? So, you know, a simple philosophy, you know, among many that we impart to our frontline teams is empowering them to make the resolution more memorable than the problem. Found, for example, with a really heightened awareness and a culture that's oriented towards going out and finding glitches proactively, as opposed to the obvious kind of you know should there be something you know more severe that would be obvious. If we can go find those things and actively have a workflow associated with that, it's actually you know somewhat counterintuitive, but it's our number one outcome that creates brand loyalty of having that level of sensitivity. So when you bring it back to the to the building level. Um, Everything from, you know, use of language is very subtle, but a very powerful tool. How it is that, you know, creating transparency through products like yours and, and, and such, but doing it in a way that, you know, from time to time, it will always require people, at least for the foreseeable future, and how central that is, you know, and I think that to some extent, what we see outside of, you know, the deep work that you guys are doing is that many of the others that are out there our thinking, that that's something of a secondary or often tertiary thought. But the way that our thesis in you know some regards is the way to make these some of these tools indispensable is through the human component and from the hospitality piece.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I remember early on one of our first conversations, one of the things that stood out, we view very much what we're trying to do, you know, If we do it really well, the technology is almost invisible, right? The technology, and because our technology is the user interface to the physical world, really what we're trying to do is activate great real world experiences where, you know, our metric for success is not... The amount of time you have your head stuck in a phone the phone should facilitate a great real world experience that brings you back into the real world where we're spending time with the people in the place that we happen to be around right so we think that's incredibly important and you use the term emotional resonance which i love because i think there's going to be a lot stronger emotional connections and touch points that property owners can have with people that are through people rather than through a screen I think that's really important. I mean, when you think about the platform that you and I get to play on in terms of partnering with real estate, it really does facilitate a lot of people's daily lives, which to me is exciting because there's just so many different ways that you can kind of touch their life throughout the day. So, you know, when you're when you talk about emotional resonance, are you going in and working with these folks in terms of how they need to think? like collectively about the emotional touch points that they're having with somebody that comes to the property from start to finish.
1: Totally. Um, you know, and it's very similar, obviously, you know, working intimately with, within your team. I'm not saying this in any way for this to sound like a promotional HQO video or, or, or other. <laughs> but there's an enormously from having, you know, lots of exposure to tech companies. I, I often cite you guys an example of it as an organization of having high emotional intelligence. Mm. Um, just for how it is that, you know, to me that translates to from a partner perspective is that, um, you know, you have a, you guys have uniquely driven conversations about exactly what you're describing, uh, you know, those are the discussions that are being had. So, from an emotional resonance standpoint, there's right there's so many layers to it, right? So, and if you kind of think about it from, you know, the just the sensory standpoint, mm-hmm. um, lots of places can you know you know hire their favorite designer to build a, a beautiful envelope. Um, lots of places can you know probably drive to a really clever audio experience that you know somehow drives some level of energy you know or such um, you can go out and find your favorite cheeseburger to serve in, in a certain place you can have a terrific value from a you know from a guest perspective but I think where this resonance notion happens is the intersection between all of those points um, and that's where it ultimately lives, you know, and and that's where brand loyalty is key. I think there's clearly, you know, under as we're both seeing a incredibly fast evolving push in this direction. Yes, you know, I think being led by companies like ours, and I think there's some really outstanding work being done as a result of it. Um, it, it the same works in reverse, right? I mean, if we're looking to HQL, which we've done with so much success, to say. We want to integrate hospitality into you know this property tool. We want the same thing, right? We want our version of it to feel like just as delightful when you're actually looking at the screen as up and and visiting with you know a hospitality agent. and that's where in one of them anyways Chase, I think you guys are by far like the you know the leader and that because it does also, I think we've become visually visually spoiled by things that not only look attractive, but have a level of intuition to them that make them work really well. Same thing with, you know, restaurants and menus and the sequence of service, et cetera. So I think, you know, the coolest part of, I think what we're doing every day is, is layering those two pieces together. And there's just really, there's endless overlap um, because they're just kind of different approaches to the same thing, but they're both bit driving loyalty and emotional resonance.
0: Yeah, and I think you and I have talked about this where, it's a treat for us when we get to work at a property that you guys are at, because so much of the challenge we see in the industry is there's kind of a lack of. When you talked about the intersection of all those points that really do go into the overall experience, you now when you look at kind of your traditional commercial real estate groups, it's no no fault of their own, right? Like the business model wasn't wasn't broken, so if it ain't broke, don't fix it, but there's such opportunity to have kind of a hospitality mindset and even just the concept of mapping you know the consumer the individual consumer's journey from the time they leave their door to when they come to the property everything they experience while they're there to the time they leave that's just a very different concept right hotels have been doing this for a very long time resorts restaurants supermarkets even in terms of the layout of you know they always get you with that one last good that you throw in the basket before you leave right so i think for us what we see is there's just kind of a lack of a certain skill set that needs to be developed more broadly and you and i have talked about how does that how do we accelerate that that kind of Void in human capital, if you will, because there is a lot of great experiential talent in other industries and things, but how that can be applied to one of the largest asset classes on the planet just seems like a massive, massive opportunity. So when we have someone like DMK at a building where there's clearly, even if the team itself doesn't necessarily have hospitality thinking, they clearly have brought people in that do and care about it, which means they understand the value of it, which I think is. Huge, at least from step one, right?
1: Yeah, I, thought, I mean, I really think this is going to be um, and talk about something that I think is going to live after COVID. There was obviously a lot of uh, tailwinds heading pre-COVID um, to a need for your for a product like yours. It's only obvious that that does enrich the experience, but otherwise, and I think obviously, we both do the same thing in this regard. Chase. It's storytelling, right? And you know, our story is a little bit different than yours. Uh, you, you guys, you know, your product is so. Um, Cost is an, a, an inhibitor, in my opinion, from a landlord in bringing in HQO. Cost can certainly be an inhibitor if, in fact, you, know, you want to have really striking physical presence as well, additional you know, marginal expenses associated with food and beverage programs, mechanical systems, et cetera. Um, and, but I do think that you, know, you guys are helping to usher this question forward, And I think it's going to become kind of a new standard. I think from the examples that we've worked on together, you know, we are working with the leaders in the game and with long track records. And I think ultimately the question is not going to be whether or not this is something that a property can afford. It's whether or not they can afford not to have at least something like, you know, a really sharp brand building, loyalty building app experience, as well as how can they answer the question, you, you know, The world taught us that if you build a great kind of communal space, but don't have other stories and features to it, the utilization is scant. With the ability to storytell and do other things in spaces like that, not only does utilization go up, but it also for the benefit of using like an HQO product, um, it gives you endless content, right? Holy cow, next week we're doing uh, X, Y, and Z. And, you know, whatever those kind of various promotions and and events and, and activities might be further enliven you know, the story of, of the real estate. And so I think from a a leasing strategy and from a tenant acquisition perspective, that's going to separate the wheat from the chaff as far as, you know, who has made this investment on behalf of creating, um, you know, an experience like this for tenants versus who hasn't.
0: With regards to technology, you have now on a couple of different innovation waves. You know, we talked about, you were very early on, you know, a supporter at Grubhub and some of the players in the kind of e-commerce food space, what has made you kind of so tech forward, and how should you know a lagging industry like real estate kind of dive in and ultimately become start to become tech enabled if they're not already, which a lot of them are not.
1: Well, I mean, if nothing else, I mean, I think if if uh, you know if you haven't tried it before and seen the economic benefits of it, I can't I can't tell you you know earnestly enough the economic advantages, especially if you just look at it as a raw ROI perspective. Um, you know, whatever these things are, um, you know, if it's an HQO edition or if it was us being, you know, one of the first kind of advocates of, of you know, like a Grubhub, for example, and an early user and, and kind of thought partner. Um, it's given us enormous returns. It's given us longevity. It's given us um, it's given us culture, right? It's given, if you want to be part of an organization, you know, especially right now as all industries, I think and it's just the restaurant industry that are worrying about how it is that, you know, they're going to acquire the best talent versus their competitors, um, that these tools and actions uh, become places that people want to work and they want to serve. Ultimately, it's not about us, right? It's about our, about our partners and about our guests. So at the end of the day, what we found is that really, you know, um, our, our partners, I think that just all live and breathe excellence If we're not doing it, they're going to be requiring us to do it because that is kind of where things are and have been, but are are heading towards at a incredibly fast rate.
0: Yeah. And I think retail for a long time has been accepting this, but certainly COVID has accelerated it. But, you know, we talk about kind of connected retail experiences now with, I mean, there's just a litany of new technologies that. Uh, retail is starting to embrace whether it's kind of the standard application layer things that we're all used to you know we mentioned grubhub but even everything from smart sensors and how we geofence and target people but what do you see in terms of connected retail and the you know ultimately how it plays in neighborhood development right you know and this more kind of connected city thing that we've been talking about for a while but you know, when you think of the richness of a neighborhood, people talk about the death of retail. Our our neighborhoods would be would not be very rich if it weren't for retail. So how do you kind of see the future of retail and connected retail playing out, particularly as the role in kind of neighborhood building and connected cities?
1: Yeah, I mean I, I'm I'm definitely, you know, feeling like connected cities are essential to what we're gonna see on a going forward basis. I think that there's, you know, certainly gonna be um, a place for retail out there I think it's going to continue to evolve and in the, the rate of that change obviously is happening rather quickly um, if you look at kind of the outcome of even just kind of recent earnings reports that have come out on Wall Street um, those that are successful it's solely a function of what their tech strategy is um, versus those have been that have been slower to adopt or think about these things um, I think you know if you think about it from kind of our side as well a little bit as far as you know, this kind of workplace and such and how that kind of fits into you, to your day, which is obviously a huge part of all of us, remote or otherwise, is there's a lot of things that we've looked at that demonstrate that kind of productivity, emotional wellness, et cetera, is driven by a fabric of options as opposed to something more static. So I think that's going to become really relevant, how it is that you can kind of, you know, go to different places and different spaces in order to drive a different type of experience. So, for example, if, you know, if it's in a work setting, there's a lot of people that report highest productivity in the most unsuspecting places like airplanes. Right. Um, and the one place that people tend to not, you know, do it all the time is actually physically in what has historically been a traditional office space. So I think this level of connectivity that happens through a product like that you guys have, and the cool thing about, I think, what's happening too, as you're describing, is while there is this really rapid kind of race towards these um, you know different pieces to how it is that this can all start to look and work, it living a little bit more at kind of an enterprise aggregated level through like an HQO, for example, I think is really kind of part of the key to the future too. Um, I don't imagine that we're going to have phones that have 74,000 different disparate apps on them to do a variety of Things, I think that there's going to be parts of our day and parts of our life that we're going to look to a certain things, like my work day, like my social life, like my dining choices, et cetera. So I think the extent to which you know work will continue to be a central part of life, um, connections through uh, platforms like an HQO, for example, I think. Um, are going to be so widespread and fully adopted, um, especially, I think, by those companies that are going to you know, have a, a lasting, successful uh, runway. Um, I, I think it's in the process of happening all around us and it's accelerating because of COVID.
0: Yeah. Well, David, I appreciate your time, man. I know you're incredibly busy and always on the run. So good to see you.
1: Can't thank you enough for truly being a, a world-class partner.
0: Yeah, likewise, are one of our favorite to work with. So thanks a bunch for coming on the show.
1: Great to see you. Okay, thank you.
0: For more information about how HQO can help you connect with your workforce and make smarter CapEx decisions and drive more NOI, visit us at hqo.com. This is Chase Garbarino. Thanks for tuning in. Let's go.